Hi, I'm Brian. And I'm Michaela. And this is Drink the Movies. A podcast where each week we try to recreate a classic movie drink and discuss the movie that inspired it. Thanks for joining us. Now let's drink the movies. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 20 of Drink the Movies. I'm Brian, here as always with Michaela. Michaela, this is our last episode before we go full-blown Oscar season. So how are, how are you doing on your Oscar watch list? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm really excited. I'm kind of jumping up and down in my seat a little bit actually today because we are a week away from recording our preview episode. Mm-hmm. And I only have like 17 movies left to see. Which oh, is okay. actually pretty good for me. Um, a lot of them are short subjects, so I'm not super worried about it. Um, but it, it always gets down to the wire. I want to make sure that I have seen everything that is possible to see, which I think everything's out now. You can find absolutely everything on here, which is awesome because it's like 56 films. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I want to say I want to say last year in the uh, before podcast time, I think you had like 30 films to watch the last week. So you're doing way better than you were uh, yes. last year. So. Yes, and I made it then. I will make it this time. No sweat. Awesome. But I'm super excited because we have gotten some amazing response from our really cool contest. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've gotten uh, quite a few entries in already, and there's still a couple weeks to get those Oscar picks in. So if uh, anyone who's not familiar or seen our uh, social media posts, we're giving away uh, official limited edition, one of a kind, uh, Drink the Movies 2021 Oscar uh, Rocks Glass. Uh, so to win that, it's just going to be whoever makes the most correct Oscar picks. So Michaela and I are excluded because we'll probably both be 100%. But uh, but if you want to enter, go to the website. It's just www.drinkthemovies.com and just go to the Oscars 2021 tab across the top, or I think you have to tab down on your phone, but you can make your picks and uh, whoever wins is going to get one of these awesome glasses. So make sure you go and get entered in before Oscar night. So, yes, yes, please do that. It's a lot of fun. Um, I know, you know, this Brian, we, I, my whole life I've had an Oscar party. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's usually been a party of like three people of my nearest and dearest, because I get very emotional on Oscar Sunday. I, I dress up, I drink a lot of champagne. I, you know, cry at all the stuff. It's really amazing. It's a really important time for me personally. And I think it's awesome because we're basically inviting the entire world to come to our Oscar party, Brian. You can come to, come to the virtual Oscar party. Now I would like to get this on record and I probably will get it on record for the next three weeks, but who was the winner of the Oscar picks last year at your Oscar party? Could you, uh, could you let everyone know who the winner was? I don't remember. I believe that was you, Brian. Oh, yes, it was me. That's correct. And I'm doing really good on my movie picks this year, so I'm feeling pretty good about it. Knocked a couple more off this weekend. Watched Greyhound. Uh, that was really good, actually. I I wasn't sure what to expect. That one's on Apple TV+. Plus. It's uh, Tom Hanks, World War II uh, naval film. Uh, that one's really good. And also watched Love and Monsters, and I liked that one a lot. I don't think you've watched that one yet. That was a, that was a big surprise to me. It's nominated, I think, for Best Visual Effects. Yeah. Um, and it's it's really cool. It's a really uh, neat story. The way they present it, it's really good. The visual effects, obviously, are, are very good. So I think you'll like that one. So it's it's pretty fun. So I'm excited. I'm excited to see that one. I watched yeah. uh, a lot of the documentaries. So oh, okay. um, I finished Colette, which is a short 
subject documentary film. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was it really um, beautifully done. It was, it's in French. So uh, that, that was uh, about 30 minutes long. And I think that is on Hulu. No, it's on YouTube. I take YouTube, that back. Yeah. It's on YouTube. Um, I also watched the white tiger, which I was mm. really excited about. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's actually one of kind of the the underdogs, I think, of the season where it's only nominated for one one award. Um, but it was really pretty good. I liked it a lot. Yeah, I think it was nominated for Best Original Screenplay. That one's yeah. on on Netflix. And I guess it was adapted from a New York Times bestselling book. And that yeah, that one is really good. So if you have Netflix, I'd I'd check that one out for sure. But yeah, so this is going to be our last regular episode before we go full-blown into Oscar mode with the preview show next week. We're going to have martinis flowing. Um, It's going to be an amazing time. Uh, But we have one more cocktail that we need to talk about before we do that. Uh, Do you have any good ideas? You know, it's springtime. Um, I feel very, I don't know, let's do gin and um, I don't know. Let's do a fancy version of gin and lemonade. Okay, that sounds like a great idea. Why don't we take a quick break and then we'll come back and talk about this week's cocktail, the Tom Collins. This week's cocktail is the Tom Collins. That's right. Uh, I don't I don't know who Tom Collins is. Do you know who Tom Collins is? Um, he's a character from Rent. Oh, yes, that, that's absolutely true. But uh, the cocktail Tom Collins, it uh, is way older than Rent and it yes. goes all the way back to 1876. Uh, we don't really know how the drink got started. That was kind of lost to time and prohibition and all of those things. But the first time it was mentioned uh, anywhere written down was in 1876. Uh, but this is a super straightforward uh, cocktail. So the earliest iterations of it was gin and sparkling lemonade, as you mentioned in the uh, intro there. Uh, now, new ones get a little fancier, obviously, with all these uh, fancy cocktails out there. So, Michaela, why don't you run through the cocktail ingredients and instruction list for everyone. Fantastic. Okay. We start with two ounces of gin. We used Hendrix summer solstice as you should, because that's delicious. Everything Hendrix does is just awesome. Mm -hmm. Then we use an ounce of lemon juice. Of course, fresh is best, but you don't need to do that. And then half an ounce of simple syrup. Simple syrup for anyone who doesn't know is really simple to make. It's equal parts sugar and hot water. And you just mix it together until it forms a syrup and then you can cool it and save it. And I have to say, Brian, I've been doing this. I've been making my own Mm -hmm. simple syrup and my own honey syrup for um, my drinks during the week. And it's super easy to do. And you feel you feel really baller when you're like making a cocktail with all the stuff that you've done. Yeah, it's super easy. So those three ingredients you just mix in a highball or a Collins glass. Mm -hmm. This drink is so famous. It's got an entire glass named after it it's amazing has its own glass yeah and then you can top this off with club soda and then a garnish would be a lemon wheel or if you wanted to get super fancy a maraschino cherry Mm -hmm. yeah that's it yeah it's really simple so literally it's gin and then you're making kind of your own uh sparkling lemonade in the glass with the lemon juice and the uh simple syrup and the club soda but yeah you just pour it in there give it a mix and you're good to go it's super summery a uh, tasting. It's very light, uh, very refreshing. It would be good on a hot day, I think. So, yeah. So, I, uh, you know, we have a we have a group. Um, I have a ladies who happy hour, and every week 
we're trying to think of new things. And so I tried mm -hmm. the, the Tom Collins on them recently and all of them loved it. Even the ones that pretend, you know, say they're not gin drinkers. So right. this is a fantastic drink. And again, you, you can use vodka if you don't want to use gin, but then uh, it'll be something else. Um, yep. I really loved it. I thought that depending on the kind of gin you like, you could play, play around with that. If you mm -hmm. like something that's much more junipery or much more floral, um, right. depending on, you know, what your flavor is. Yeah. I'd pick the Hendrick summer solstice for this one. Uh, cause it's very perfumey and, mm -hmm. you know, has like, uh, uh, you know, kind of like lilacs and really springy, uh, tastings. So that's the one I went with, but yeah, any, if you have a good, uh, distillery near you, um, especially like American distilleries, they're probably going to have, uh, their gins are going to be more like citrus kind of forward, you know, oranges and, uh, you know, those kinds of things, lemons and, stuff. So uh, give one of those a try. That would be really good in, in this too. So yeah, this was, this was really good. I think that it would be an easy one to make. And I think I actually might try it with some sparkling lemonade. You can get a bunch of fancy sparkling sodas at the grocery store now. So you could do that. You could do the lemonade. You could probably do, you know, sparkling any sort of soda in there and make your own kind of riff on a Tom Collins and you know, then it would turn into a two cocktail or a two ingredient cocktail. So that's pretty cool. So that's right. In college, I think I did something like this with just mm -hmm. Sprite because oh, okay. uh, an English version of lemonade is really like a Sprite or a seven up. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you could do a gin and Sprite. It won't be as, you know, foo-foo, but it'll, it'll get the job done, you know? Yeah, for sure. So well, let us know if you uh, drink Tom Collins all summer uh, long and, yeah, I think uh, we've got these mixed up and we're ready to go. We're ready to uh, head our way to Chicago and talk about this week's movie, The Trial of the Chicago 7. Spoiler warning for The Trial of the Chicago 7. If you've not yet seen Trial of the Chicago 7, press pause, go mix yourself up a Tom Collins, come back and we can chat about it. Yeah, absolutely. And if you've not seen this yet, it's available on Netflix and we both highly recommend that you go watch it. It, it's a new release, obviously. This came out in October of last year, 2020. It was written and directed by Aaron Sorkin, and it stars a lot of people. There's a, a lot, lot of people, people in this in this movie. Um, so normally we kind of give you a rundown on, you know, kind of the big names, but we're actually, because there's so many characters, we're just going to kind of introduce the characters and then tell you who's playing them. And since this is a newer movie, we're not going to get quite as in-depth with this one just because we want everyone to have the opportunity to watch this if they've not watched it. Um, you know, and kind of, you know, get their own reactions in, in terms of this film as we head into Oscars season, because this film was nominated for a lot of Oscars. It was nominated for six, to be exact, and it won the Golden Globe for Best Screenplay, and it just won the uh, Screen Actors Guild Award for Best Ensemble, uh, which is definitely easy to see why. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was so excited when I watched this. This was the very first of the Best Picture uh, nominated films that I saw and I was so excited that they had a Tom Collins in it so that we could use um, that we could do this and do a, a semi dive on this um, for our awards series. This film is definitely an ensemble performance. There's a lot of people and it's the screenplay is uh, written in such a way where you, it you've got it you can get lost so we're gonna do our very best to keep it short and sweet because it it's it we gotta it it goes deep yeah it absolutely does so the oscars it's like i said it's nominated for six so it's nominated for the best picture of the year 
Um, it's nominated for Best uh, Supporting Actor for Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, Best Original Screenplay for Aaron Sorkin, uh, Best Achievement in Film Editing, uh, Best Achievement in Cinematography, and uh, Best Achievement in Music Written uh, Original Song category. Uh, now, Aaron Sorkin has won an Oscar. He won for Best Screenplay for The Social Network. Um, so this, this will be his second of those if he won. So uh, apparently he has a good eye for uh, writing these really tight scripts and putting together uh, these, you know, kind of tricky to figure out, you know, kind of ensemble pieces. Yeah, absolutely. Anything Aaron Sorkin touches is going to be fantastic. Um, some of the subject matter is really uncomfortable and tough and he does it flawlessly. I mean, it's just amazing. So I, I'm rooting for him. I, I think this is definitely a huge contender for best picture. Um, so let's get into it. Yeah, for sure. So this um, is going to open and opens with the newsreel of President Johnson uh, talking about they're getting ready to expand the draft for the Vietnam War. And then immediately you get these uh, just these really great, super fast cuts. You see kind of draft cards going into mailboxes, uh, people opening them up. Uh, and it's kind of spliced in with all this other newsreel footage, you know, footage from Vietnam, uh, footage of Martin Luther King, uh, footage of Bobby Kennedy you know, and just all of this news that's going on and sort of setting the tone for the, you know, the tone of the country, you know, kind of at this point. And then it's going to have kind of spliced in with this news footage. Uh, it's just going to start going through the cast of characters. Uh, so we're going to get our, our first two here. So uh, we're going to see Tom Hayden and Rennie Davis, and they're the leaders of the Student Democratic Society. Um, or the SDC for short. And they're talking about how they're going to take busloads of students to Chicago. So Tom's played by Eddie Redmayne and Rennie is played by Alex Sharp. Right. And they're going to Chicago because that's where the Democratic National Convention is going to be for mm -hmm. 19... 1968. 1968. Not a historian. So 1968. And then you also see... Uh, two characters, Jerry Rubin and Abby Hoffman, and they are played by Jeremy Strong and Sasha Baron Cohen, respectively. Mm -hmm. They are leaders of the Youth International Party of Yippies, and they're also going to Chicago. And they're going for the same reason that Tom Hayden and Rennie Davis are, to protest the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. And yeah. they're wanting to protest peacefully. So they're telling everybody that that's where they're going to go and getting you know, their teens riled up to, you know, make their way to Chicago. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and then it's, you know, still doing these super fast cuts. We got our next character who is David Dellinger. Uh, he's played excellently by John Carroll Lynch, and he's the leader of the mobilization to end the war in Vietnam, uh, also known as the MOB. Uh, so these were the group of peaceful protesters who had protested, you know, pretty much every kind of armed conflict uh, you know, going all the way back, you know, through the uh, world wars and things. Exactly. I mean, they make a joke. I think that Dave Dellinger actually uh, protested World War II. Like he was a mm. conscientious objector for World War II, which is kind of, <laughs> if everybody could get behind the idea of Vietnam, but World War II was a little bit tougher, but he is a peace loving person. Right. So, and mm -hmm. there's scenes where he's telling everybody, even his own son, absolutely no violence, no matter what you absolutely will never be, you know, that you're never going to win if you resort yep. to violence. Right. And then we juxtapose these, all of these people with Bobby Seale, who is the national chairman of the Black Panther Party. And he's played by Yahya Abdul-Mateen II? Yes. 
and he's very good. Um, he's having a conversation with his team about going to give a speech because he's been asked to give a speech by the Chicago chairman, who's Fred Hampton, which we also see uh, in a lot of other films that are up for best picture this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, he's been asked to go. His team doesn't want him to go um, because they think that this is going to be a storm of, you know, political um it, it's going to be a, it's going to be a, sh- a show. It's not going to yeah. be good, but Bobby seals determined to go. He's like, I'm going to be in and out in four hours. I'm going to give a speech. I'm going to get back on a plane. I'm going to go home. It's not a big deal. Yep. Yeah. And he'll say a couple times through throughout the film, uh, as we get into the trial that he was only in Chicago for four hours and he never met any of these other people, uh, that were also, you know, on trial for this thing. Uh, so, so those are kind of the main, the main characters here, um, in this film. So we get, like that nice montage and it ends the montage just keeps uh, continuing and you'll see them setting up the democratic national convention. Uh, they're bringing in, you know, national guard troops cause they know that there's going to be protest. They've uh, brought on 10,000 extra police officers to help. And then it, and then this montage ends with Walter Cronkite uh, doing his sign off from his news report the other night before the DNC is about to start. And he says, we're about to begin the Democratic National Convention in a police state. There's no other way to say it. And then you get a hard kind of title in the screen trial of the Chicago 7. Yeah, I I really think that this was one of the best kind of setups of uh, that I've seen in a long time of a film that's based on uh, true events. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's really, really well done. And uh, the editing is very easy to see why it's nominated for that. I think it probably is uh, my front runner at this point for uh, best editing. Just all of this historical footage cut in uh, so quickly and so crisply with everything that's that's going on and just the job they do kind of keeping all of these characters' stories straight, even though they're, you know, so intertwined. So the, yeah, the movie kind of gets started and then we get, you know, kind of laid out what's what's going to happen, what's going to drive the trial going forward. So uh, it's going to see the Justice Department. It's about five months after the Democratic National Convention. And you get a couple of uh, prosecutors from the uh, Attorney General's office. So you get Thomas Foran, who's played by J.C. McKenzie, and then Richard Schultz, who's played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Um, and they're there. They're waiting to meet with the new incoming attorney general uh, by the name of John Mitchell, uh, who's played by John Doman. So so basically the Johnson, uh, his term ended and President Nixon was coming in. So John Mitchell is the attorney general now under uh, President Nixon. Right. And for anybody that doesn't know, what happens is uh, basically all those people uh, either resign or they're let go, uh, you know, when you get n- new administration, especially when yep. the parties change. Right. So, you know, so John Mitchell is asking for help uh, in, you know, trying to put these eight individuals because there are actually eight of them on trial mm-hmm. for inciting violence across state lines. And he's asking Richard Schultz, who's played by Joseph Gordon Levitt. Um, amazing, by the way, I love his, his acting is impeccable in this. Um, he's a young lawyer and they're asking him to be lead prosecutor on the case. And they have mm-hmm. a discussion about, you know, is this really the best way to go about doing this? Were they actually inciting violence? Do we think that we could actually get a conviction? There's a lot of conversations about that. But uh, John Mitchell is determined to get uh, these guys convicted. And he is, you know, challenging uh 
Richard Schultz to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, the meeting sort of ends with uh, you know Richard Schultz walking out and uh, he's saying something to the effect of this is going to give you know these these protester groups kind of the attention that they were trying to get in the first place. And someone says to him, do you think there'll be an audience? And then it cuts to, you know, outside of the courthouse for day one of the trial. And there's, you know, about 2000 people there, you know, you have, you know, half, you know, on the side of the Chicago seven and half on the uh, side, I guess, of the Chicago police and, you know, that, you know the, the other side, basically. Yeah. So, um, yeah. So just kind of madness outside of the courthouse and, you know, then they go into the courthouse and we meet the attorneys that are defending the Chicago Seven. So we have William Kunstler, uh, who's played by Mark Rylance, and Leonard Wineglass, who's played by Ben Shankman. Um, they're the defense attorneys. They're defending the Chicago Seven, but they're not defending Bobby Seale. Um, so the, uh, the national chairman of the Black Panther Party, he has his own attorney, but his attorney's in the hospital. So he basically has no representation through this entire uh, trial. Right. And you think because this is America and we, you know, have a due process that they would have done something about that. They would have postponed it or they would have uh, done something else. But instead, mm-hmm. the, the judge basically is like, yeah, you can get the lawyer next to you. Just use him like the entire time. <laughs> it was so infuriating um, that the, and that's actually absolutely true. That totally happened. Um, so, yeah. So they start. There's a bunch of other people who are actually in the audience as well. Mm-hmm. So you have uh, Lee uh, Lee Wien- Wiener, Wiener Weiner and John Freunds. Uh, they're also they're also there. They're the other two members of the Chicago Seven. So they're kind of just these two students um, that are also you don't ever really get to find out too much about them. But you'll see later in the film that um, Abby Hoffman is saying that you guys are here because you're the kind of the feel good guys. So what's going to happen is the jury is going to convict the five of us, but then they're going to let you guys off. So that way they can sleep at night. Right. And that's what, that's what happens. Those, those two were basically the, uh, the, the feel good guys or, you know, what yeah. the sleep, sleep at night guys or uh, whatever he called them. Uh, right. But they're there. And then also Fred Hampton, you know, who's the, the head of the black Panther party um, is there as well. Right. And he's there sitting right behind Bobby Seale because, again, Bobby Seale does not have representation. He does not have a lawyer. And William Kunstler, uh, played by Mark Rylance, is amazing in this. And he continues to let Bobby know that if he needs him, that he will be there. But he respects that decision that that is not who's who Bobby Seale. He is not Bobby Seale's representation. And Mm -hmm. he continues to defend that fact throughout the entire trial. And it's worth noting that this trial goes on for something like seven or eight months. It's like six or seven months, I think. Mm -hmm. It is a very, very long trial. Um, And in that entire time, he's not represented, right? Yeah, he eventually at some point, you know, makes an appeal to represent himself, uh, which is denied. And yeah, it's it's just uh, no good and no good coming from uh, the judge. So we're going to get introduced to him. He's Judge Julius Hoffman, uh, who's played uh, really well by Frank Langella. Uh, he comes in and he does, like, I don't I don't know how accurate this is, but he comes in. He doesn't know the defendant's names. He's you know, not letting anyone speak. It's uh, just a just a mess. So, yeah, he keeps getting everybody else's else confused. 
you know, Abby Hoffman is not related to him and he wants everybody in the freaking universe to know that Abby, uh, Abby Hoffman is not his brother or his son. Mm-hmm. And that's absolutely, that's actually very true. If you read the, um, the court records, that was almost word for word kind of what happened, which is shocking and terrifying um, all at the same time. Cause we're dealing with a sentence, by the way, if they are convicted, they could get up to 10 years in prison. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So we get the trial kind of kicked off and then kind of in between these trial pieces, you get kind of cut in. So you either get a scene with kind of the defendants, you know, in a room or back kind of at the the place where they're meeting with the attorneys to kind of formulate, formulate the, the plans, or you get these other really great scenes that I like a lot uh, where Abby Hoffman is doing they're, they're not really like stand-up routines. I think they're probably at comedy clubs, but he's basically just kind of talking about the war and about, you know, the Yippie movement. And that's kind of cut in with real life footage of, you know, these, the protests and the riots and things that are going on and everyone speaking uh, spliced in with people acting. So he's kind of narrating through the story, through the actual events of the story is what led to uh, the trial. Um, but in kind of one of these first ones, we get, sort of summed up, you know, what, what these, the Chicago seven want to want to accomplish. Right. So Abby said, you know, is the, what's the goal here? Is it to make an, to make a statement or to get acquitted? Yeah. And Tom Hayden is kind of juxtaposed against Abby Hoffman in this, right? So Abby Hoffman, his goal really has always been, I want the war to end. I just want the war to end. We've got to talk about why we're here. We've got to talk about what, what our goal actually was. And at, you know, at the beginning of the film, you think Tom Hayden, he's just really trying to stay out of jail for 10 years because he's a young student. Mm -hmm. It's going to ruin his life. I mean, not that it wouldn't ruin anybody else's, but he's like, I just want to go home. Like, I just want to be a queen. And so, you know, all eight of them are seven of them because, because Bobby Seale, he's not even allowed to be in the same room with them. Mm -hmm. Um, They're trying to strategize and talk about, you know, what the best plan of attack is. Um, and then the next scene really is about the, the, they end up setting up the plan for them to initially go to Chicago in the first place, because all of these folks, uh, except for those two students, they all were heads of organizations and they wanted to apply for a permit mm-hmm. to go and to have a place to protest. This was very interesting to me because I had no idea how that actually worked because I've never run an organization like that that was going to go protest. So um, I thought it was really interesting because the mayor's admin officer goes on the stand and he's talking and then there's a back kind of a backflash of him um, or a flashback of him with all the members that are now on trial asking for permits Mm -hmm. and he denies their permits every single time. And it's really interesting to me because they were very clear that people are going to come whether you give us a permit or not. Right. And they have a right to protest, right? We have a freedom of speech. You know, that is the first amendment in this country. We should be given a space to do that. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and I thought it was really interesting. I had never thought of it that, that way before that it's up to us as citizens of the United States to make sure that even if we totally vehemently disagree with what's being said, that they have a safe space to do that. Right. Because this is an example of what could happen if they don't. And I thought that was really a a very important scene. Yeah. It's interesting because it's presented. This is basically the, the prosecution's case. This is, 
how they all knew each other, right? It was because they were all coming in to apply for these permits. But it's funny because they were all going in to apply for these permits because they were trying to do so as safely and peacefully as they as they could have possibly done it, probably, right? Right. So. Trying to follow the rules and ask for things like, hey, can we get sanitation? Can we have a safe spot to, you know, go to the bathroom? Can we make sure that we can wash our hands, you know, instead of sitting in tents, you know, just being the, the abject hippies that, you know, long haired, don't clean themselves, you know, all of the things that everyone thought that these, right. these people were, um, they wanted to challenge that and it was just completely denied. And it's interesting, I don't know, uh, the line of questioning never went to if they approved any um, protesters, because <laughs> I don't think they did. Yeah, well, I, I, he definitely didn't approve uh, either of uh, these groups, the uh, the Democratic, you know, the college kids ones or the yippies. We know for a fact they didn't approve either of those. So, um, right. but yeah, so that's kind of the main argument for the prosecution was is to how, you know, they knew each other because they were all in trying to get these uh, permits. So the trials kind of kind of go back and forth a little bit. Um, and each kind of time that the group is together outside of the courtroom when they're doing kind of these meetings um, at their, you know, attorney's headquarters kind of kind of thing, uh, they'll pause all the time to watch the news because during the Vietnam War nightly news, they would, you know, read off the names of all of the soldiers that fell uh, that day. And there were a lot. There were a lot. Um, Rennie Davis, there's a scene where he is writing in a notebook and they beautifully place this, uh, it's beautiful the way they weave it in, um, because at the beginning he says, oh, I'm, I'm writing these names, uh, down of all the people that we've lost today. And, you know, they're like, why are you doing that? And he said, well, I just think it's important to realize and, and remember what, why we're here in the first place. And you see him do that throughout the film. And it does bring it home because this this is something that was real, and these were real people that they were they really felt a connection to, trying to trying to literally save lives. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Tough to watch a lot of it, but yeah, so they're in trial for this thing. So going to kind of keep going through the trial. We're introduced to a couple of uh, undercover cops. So uh, one undercover police officer, he was uh, there posing as like a like a weed guy for the the hippies in the park. He's like, I got all the ass. I got all the weed. I got all the stuff you need. And they're looking at him like, great. Peace, man. Like <laughs> that's like all of them didn't have, you know, 10 pounds of weed. Like they like they of didn't them. have all the weed and they probably brought plenty of girls or boys with them. They yeah. were probably did not need any help doing that. Yeah. So that was, so that was the uh, Chicago PD undercover cop, but the uh, FBI was a little bit more successful with their um, own undercover special agent. So uh, they send this, girl out to a bar and she you know meets jerry rubens at this bar and she orders him a tom collins which is the uh where we get uh, this drink from and jerry rubens is immediately uh, smitten with this girl so uh so she actually is going to you know sort of stay in the picture at least in terms of this trial yeah. because she ends up you know going on the on the stand because you know she ended up spending you know kind of this week or however long they were in chicago uh for you know kind of with jerry rubens and Right. He, and he was ensorcelled by her. <laughs> That's right. He thought it was really unfair and wrong that she ensorcelled him in such a way where he thought she was just amazing. And really she was just trying to gather evidence to use on him later. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, they, they talk about what happens and a couple of different things occur. Mm -hmm. um, not just this one big riot. And it kind of builds up to this one big 
uh, riot that, that has a lot of violence in it. Right. But they talk a little bit with Tom Hayden and they talk about how, you know, Tom Hayden's um, friend, Rennie, they call him Rennie. Mm-hmm. He needed to create a diversion uh, for some reason. And so Tom Hayden is um, letting air out of some police car tires and he gets caught and they are going to arrest him, but they make a deal with him and say, no, we'll, we'll, if you come quietly tomorrow, we'll just arrest you then, which I thought was really interesting, but they, they're trying to paint pictures of these individuals as, you know, no good hippie, you know, people who came in there, came to Chicago with the idea that they would incite violence in the Mm -hmm. first place. And then you get another, one of those really good scenes where you have uh, Abby Hoffman, you know, up kind of giving his speech on, you know, like the, like the nightclub stage there uh, talking off. And, you know, at this point they're, they're marching on the police station where Tom Hayden's being held. And he's saying, you know, if this is what happens, if you don't give protesters a place to, to protest and then it, it's so interwoven with actual um, like footage of the actual, you know, riot taking place, just another one of these kind of quick cut uh, sort of a thing. It's really interesting because there's a couple of opportunities where they have kind of mini tussles with the, the cops. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, they go through that kind of song and dance of trying to paint these individuals as inciting violence. And they're actually using like an old law that they used um, against African-Americans back in the day um, to to circumvent some of this, right? Yeah, it was basically a law to not to not allow uh, your slaves to run away to cross state lines. Basically, is what the what the law was right. for. So, right, and so it's it's really it gets really tough because around this time, um, you know, Bobby Seale has been saying over and over again, "I don't have a lawyer. I'm not being represented." Mm-hmm. Um, they won't let him represent himself. So his trial is completely being held um, in, in a complete vacuum of justice. It, it's, abs- it's, it's mind-boggling that this actually occurred. Um, but it is around this time that Fred Hampton, uh, who, if you'll remember, is the leader of the Chicago uh, branch of the Black Panther Party, mm-hmm. he is killed. And you know, Bobby Seale is devastated. He's really angry. He's really upset. And... They go to the courtroom the next day and he stands up and he tries to speak on his behalf mm-hmm. and he is told by the judge to stop talking and he refuses. And so the judge tells the bailiffs to drag him out of the courtroom. He is physically dragged out and he's gone for a few minutes at a, a few minutes. He comes back and he's been cuffed. He's been gagged. He's got like a, a bandage around his face. Mm-hmm. You can hardly like, I, I, you know, they're checking his, his non-lawyer, Mr. Kunstler is asking if he can breathe. Okay. Because he looks like he's been beaten up. Um, yep. And they sit him back down and the judge says, are you done? Like, are you, are, are you, we're not going to hear another word from you. I'm, I hope. Yeah. He says something that's really infuriating. It says something along the lines of it's really unfortunate that you made me do that or, or something just, uh, it's, it's just awful. But to, to some credit, um, at least, uh, Richard Schultz, who is the you know prosecuting attorney, uh, gets up and calls a sidebar and is like, what, what are you doing? I can't believe this is happening in an American court. This is ridiculous. So he actually says that they're, um, he wants to separate 
him from the other seven. So they basically, uh, you know, at this point are, you know, releasing Bobby seal from, from this trial at least. So. Right. So the judge Hoffman agrees to a mistrial. The other thing that it does though, is because they were sure that this was going to carry weight with the jury, because I'm sure the jurors, even, even some of them had to have been horrified that this was happening. Mm-hmm. It would probably would have turned them uh, and, and changed the way that they were thinking about how this whole trial was going anyway. Right. So you know, it was great in the sense that Bobby Seal was given a mistrial and rightfully so, but it also meant that, every, you know, th- they weren't going to be able to use any of that to carry favor with the jury. Right. Um, and so the jury really was going to be focusing on the seven. And so Mr. Nertzler, Kurt Kunstler. Kunstler, I'm sorry, I'm sounding like the judge. Mr. Kunstler was, you know, exasperated that we, it had even gone this far in the first place. Yeah, it was all just a, a bunch of ridiculousness. So, uh, but the the defense they have sort of a game plan what they're going to try to do. So they're going to go out and try to find Ramsey Clark. Now he was the attorney general under President Johnson, uh, so he was the outgoing attorney general before the new one under Nixon came in, and they'd actually before he left office, they had investigated the Chicago seven to see if, you know, if they did anything wrong, if any laws were broken, anything like that. Um, and his office had said no, uh, that there hadn't been, but when, you know, the new attorney general came in, uh, decided they wanted to sort of make a, make a case against these guys. So they went to find Ramsey Clark and he's played by Michael Keaton. And he actually kind of as a surprise to everyone, including the federal government, uh, says, absolutely, I'll go in and testify. So absolutely. And he does. And it's an amazing um, exchange because he basically sets the record completely straight and says, you know, I don't know why. Basically, what it looks like is happening is a political trial, which is not something that should ever happen in the United States. And you know, Abby Kaufman, played by Sasha Baron Cohen, mm-hmm. keeps saying that this is a political trial. And at first, no one's really believing him or no one's giving that any credence. Mm-hmm. But by the end, it becomes very clear that because of the history of Johnson not seeking a reelection and Nixon coming in and this being very much pro versus anti-war, that these these people are, were specifically chosen um, for who they are, not any specific role that they played mm-hmm. in any sort of violent actions that were taking place. And so even though Ramsey Clark does give an amazing um, testimony and basically tells the jury or tells the judge that they should be cleared of everything, yeah. um, the judge just decides that he doesn't think that that is important and pertinent to this um, defense. Yeah. Yeah, well, he doesn't tell the jury that because the judge had sent the jury out because he didn't even want him to hear what he had to say at all. Um, He said that he'll listen to the testimony. And if he thinks it's important, then, you know, we'll we'll bring the jury back in. So he didn't even get to tell that. So, you know, Ramsey Clark knows that something's up. So as he's leaving the witness stands, he tells uh, the defense attorney, William Kinsler, he says, don't worry about this trial. This is going to go nowhere. You just just start working on the appeal because um, yeah. this isn't going to go anywhere. So, yeah. Yeah. And as as it keeps going, kind of the kind of inner turmoil you get with the within the Chicago seven is just kind of the different ideologies. Um, I'd mentioned it before, you know, were they there to, you know, to 
to put on a show to get this attention to make to make their draw their line in the sand or were they there to get acquitted um, and you really see kind of those difference in ideologies starting to kind of bubble up to the surface here you know as things are going on um, particularly between Tom Hayden and Abby Hoffman right and you know David Dellinger, who is, um, he's one of the Chicago Seven, and he's the one who's, you know, absolutely non-violence, never be violent. Mm. He's, you know, there's a scene where he's telling his son, under no circumstances should we get violent. He finally kind of loses his patience with the judge and, and the entire process and says, why, if we're guilty, just give us a real trial. This isn't a real trial at all. Mm-hmm. You're not letting us speak. You're not, you're not letting us offer any evidence. And you know, of course, the judge is having the same bailiffs kind of bring him down um, and he loses his temper and he actually hits one of the bailiffs. And mm-hmm. then you see his immediate remorse. He's just so disgusted with himself. But you can see they are really at their limits because they know that they're going to be convicted um, and it doesn't matter what they do. The ending has already been decided. Yep. Yeah. And it's very, very tough. Um you know, shortly thereafter, they have a conversation with um, Abby Hoffman and Tom Hayden are talking and they've always, like I said, had this juxtaposition mm-hmm. where Tom Hayden is like, hey, I don't agree with this, but, you know, he does a couple of things um, that lead people to believe or le- at least leads Abby Hoffman to believe that he just wants to get out of this mess and mm-hmm. he doesn't really understand. He's not willing to give up his life for this cause. And then a tape shows up that uh, allegedly has Tom Hayden on tape inciting the riot. And, you know, Tom Hayden is ready to defend himself on the stand. And the lawyer is pretty sure that's a bad idea. So they kind of do a role play where the lawyer, you know, starts to cross-examine him and he's trying to answer for himself and it's a really great scene because it's juxtaposed against what the the flashback is of mm-hmm. what the what he's saying in the tape in the actual riot and what it actually means. And so one of the things that um, comes out is you know there's this line that says if blood is going to flow, let it flow all over the city. Mm-hmm. And what the defense or what the prosecution is trying to say is that is when he basically told people go and shoot all, or, you know, incite violence against all the cops that are here right? or all the, you know, and, you know, Abby Hoffman's listening to this and he says, Oh, he doesn't mean that at all. He means if our blood is going to flow, like if we are willing to die, let's make sure that everybody sees it mm-hmm. because this is when the whole world needs to see how much we care about what's going on in Vietnam if they're going to, you know, hurt us, if they're going to beat us and use tear gas on us and all of that, let's let everybody see it. Let's let the whole world watch. And mm-hmm. it's an amazing exchange between Abby Hoffman and Thomas Hayden in this because Abby Hoffman's like, oh, you do that. You, you, you do this thing where you use really vague pronouns and, you know, you monologue about something, you know, you, you have a dangling participle or something. He uses this English phrase and Tom, Tom Hayden's like, what? And he says, I've, I've read everything you've ever done. Yeah. I am a huge fan of yours. I think you're brilliant. And yeah. it's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's so good. And, and through all of this, 
where they're going back and forth the argument. They're having this kind of role play of the attorney. Um, you're having the visuals of the riot moving through the, through the streets. It's cut in with actual historical footage of this. And over top of all of that, you have Abby Hoffman is narrating the whole thing. And it's, it's just unbelievable the way that it gets put together. It's, it's so, so good, but yeah. So that's kind of, that's when they decide that, you know, Thomas isn't going to be able to take the stand though. Uh, you know, it doesn't matter what he meant. He said it, it's on tape. Um, he's not going to be able to take the stand. So Abby Hoffman takes the stand, uh, which everyone was very against at the, at the beginning. But now I think they've kind of come to terms that Abby probably is the best person to take the stand under, under this. And he gets, he gets on the stand. Um, they have a really great exchange and it kind of ends with him saying, um, you know, he, get, he gets asked a pretty simple question and he's just, he just sits there. He doesn't say anything. And uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you know, Richard Schultz, he says, Are you, it's, it's troubling that you have to take so long to answer this. And Abby just says, well, I need a minute because I've never been on trial for my thoughts before. Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's super powerful. And that's kind of the last part of the trial that we get to see before we get to the uh, little sentencing bit there. Right. Right. And so as we previously thought, you know, the two students get off They're they're not convicted, but the, the five of the seven, they've been convicted. And so they're wearing kind of these white tan suits, getting ready for sentencing. Mm -hmm. And they do pick Ch Thomas Hayden to go ahead and give the last sort of uh, plea before he gives the sentence. And the judge, you know, played by Frank Langella, you know, he, he does, he does like real jerky people so well. He's so amazing because I really hated him this whole film. And I don't think I hated him more than I did at this moment when he says, if you're brief and you're, you know, remorseful, you know, I really think you, Thomas, are the only one out of all of these people that's going to amount to anything. And if if you are remorseful and you're and you're brief and you're sincere, I promise I will look kindly upon the sentencing. Mm -hmm. And Thomas Hayden kind of challenges him and says, oh, uh, remorseful, sincere. And what was that? And he says, and brief. And Thomas Hayden just takes a second. And then he goes over to Rennie, who's been writing names down in a notebook for 156 days. And he says, I'm just going to read these names because these are all the people that have died since this trial began. And he does. And it's really awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really good. And, and sad. Yeah, because it's it's almost five thousand names, and uh, yeah, you know everyone in the in the courtroom is you know kind of standing up to honor the fallen as he's reading the names, and that's kind of where the film ends. And then it gives you a little uh, sort of insight into what happened through uh, kind of the sentencing and the appeal, and then kind of where all of these uh, people ended up um, right. af after the after the trial ended. So. Um, yeah, so it's real good. Michaela, what do you, what do you think? I mean, I can't talk too much about, it. I get emotional. Um, th this film is definitely, it, it's, it was amazing. And so I, I've watched it a couple of times this season, which I usually don't do in an Oscar season because I have so many other things to watch, but mm. this is so worthy. And I didn't know this story before, you know, I didn't know anything about 
how that th- th- this happened, but it, it's, it's really interesting how movies are made and they're made, you know, they could be made a couple of years mm-hmm. prior to things that are happening in our current, you know, political atmosphere right. um, that really are, it's like kismet. It's, it's like destiny that these things come out at the right time. And I have not felt that strongly since the post came out uh, a couple of years ago yep. um, about something that it's like, man, this is right on point. Um, you know, it was a, this is a beautiful ensemble piece. Um, and it's, it's just, it's just amazing. And for so many reasons, I think it deserves uh, to win best picture. So I'm putting it out there that that is my, that this is definitely what I think should win for best picture. The screen, I mean, it, I can't say enough good things about it. I don't, I mean, I can't, I can't even think about what I would change or to how to critique it. Yeah, it's, it's so good. And even if you take the story out of it, just, just the amount of characters and how much information is portrayed. And you might be super confused just having listened to us for the last hour. But if you watch the film, you're never confused about what's going on. And that and that's amazing to me to have, well, you have this Chicago 7, and then you also have Bobby Seale. And then you have you know, four attorneys, you have the judge, you have uh, undercover cops, you have, you have just all of these characters. And the film's not very long. It's only like, like 95 minutes or, or no, I guess it's, a, it's about two hours long, I think. So. Yeah. But it definitely, I mean, there's so much information. It pro- it could have been two and a half and, you know, three hours. And with all the information in it, you, it goes so fast. And it's so well done. It's nice and clean. And again, you know, the acting is great. I think, you know, it's, they probably, I mean, well, they did. They used a little bit of artistic license in mm-hmm. how they portrayed certain scenes sure. um, just for the effect of it. But I really think that, you know, when people look back at this time and, you know, the folks that were there and were alive at this time, they're getting on in years. So it's important that we remember uh, that this was something that happened. Right. You know, that we talk about things, movies that are entertaining and movies that are important. And I think that this is actually both because even though it's really hard to watch um, in some ways and it really is infuriating that this happened on American soil and, you know, that you know, they actually were convicted and then it, it you know, at, for doing nothing other than wanting to end a war. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's really entertaining too, because there are some pretty funny scenes. I mean, it's, it's not all drudgery and, and depressing, right? It does have some uplifting moments in it, even though it's, it's really tough. So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you sort of uh, gave away. You think that this is going to win uh, Best Picture, so it's nominated for six. Do you uh, do you think it's going to win any others? So you don't you don't have to tip your hand completely if you just want to say you know, give a give us a number or if you know if you're uh, locked in on a couple of these already. Oh, man. Might as well uh, is... might as well go ahead and give a teaser for next week. So um, it would not surprise me if it won Best Original Screenplay because it that screenplay is freaking amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. um, and editing is the film editing is just flawless because again, there's so much going on and, you know, I think we've done a pretty good job in the amount of time that we've had to tell this story, but, um, it, we're not doing it justice. I'll just be honest because yeah. <laughs> it's the editing's fantastic. And the fact that you see like 
the the things that are being that were filmed for this film and then it's split against actual footage of you know people getting beaten and people getting tear gassed and you're like there's no way and it it totally it works it it works so well yeah it's it's so great yeah i um i do think it's going to win best original screenplay at one that in the golden globes um i also believe it's going to win uh best achievement in film editing um so those those two and i'm going to join you and also making this my best motion picture of the year uh pick as well so spoiler for that for next week but that's you know should come as no surprise as to why we picked to do this one uh this week for everyone uh sasha baron cohen is absolutely incredible in this i'd actually picked him to win the golden globe um i don't know that he will especially after daniel daniel kaluuya won the uh, screen actors guild award so he's won the golden globe and the screen actors guild um and he's you know rightfully so but Sasha Baron Cohen is amazing in it everyone really is amazing in this yeah I agree I mean Sasha Baron Cohen I, I was not a f- I'm not a fan of his comedy mm-hmm. um you're very funny to some people Sasha if you're ever listening to this uh, I, I just I just can't get into it um and that's probably my fault but his dramatic acting is incredible He's done so much stuff. I mean, everything dramatic that he's touched, I have loved. Mm-hmm. And this is no exception. Um, and it's a tough role. I mean, this is, this is, a, it was, it was very tough and it was hard to see. It was paradigm changing, right? I mean, and that's, yep. that's what you want uh, to reward is someone who really makes you think differently about, um, about the hard stuff. Yeah. At least that's what I want. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. All of, yeah. All of the acting was great. Uh, the writing was great. Uh, pretty much everything was great. So um, if you haven't watched this yet, uh, please go do. It's on Netflix, so so you can watch it. Like I said, it's about two hours long, but it, it moves really quick. So you won't feel, it doesn't drag um, in any of the parts. You know, it's always moving. Um, the editing's so interesting to look at. So uh, give it a watch. If you have watched it, let us know what you think about it. And if you think it's going to win Best Picture, like Michaela and I do, make sure you uh, go and enter into our, Oscar giveaway contest. So uh, again, just go to our website. It's www.drinkthemovies.com. And just look for the Oscars 2021 tab there and you can fill out your own bracket and get entered to win one of our awesome uh, one-of-a-kind rocks glasses we've got going on there. Um, If you make a Tom Collins to drink while you're watching this, uh, do that. Take a picture of that because it's fancy looking drink. Um, and you can send that to us on our Instagram or Twitter. So we are at Drink the Movies. And on Facebook, it is facebook.com slash drink the movies. Um, and you can go check out our website. We'll have the written recipe there and pictures of the Tom Collins that we made as well. And Michaela, why don't you tell people where they can check out the podcast? You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere Anchor Podcasts are distributed. We'd really appreciate it if you subscribe. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a five-star review because that really helps us get the Drink the Movie stuff out there. All right. Well, I think we have some more movies to watch because we'll be doing our Oscar uh, preview show next week. So we've got a little bit more watching to do. We have more Tom Collins's to drink. Yes. Yes. You know, one of the things that I will say about this is you can make a picture of Tom Collins. It's something really easy to make oh, okay. for friends. And so I think I'm going to do that. I'm going to fill my glass from a pitcher. So on dig in on Saturday, when you're frantically watching, you know, eight movies trying to, uh, to get them in in time. So 
that's that's okay. I think I think we'll get there. So uh, make sure everyone uh, listening out there, you join us uh, the next couple of weeks. We're going to be it's going to be all Oscars all the time. So look for our preview show to come out next week. And until then, we're going to go watch our movies, and we'll talk to everyone next time on Drink, Drink the Movies. The movies. I'm going to beat you again this year. No chance. <laughs>